Welcome back to a new episode of N-Studio Podcast. Today, myself, Mason Brown, and our president, Quinn McFadden, have had the opportunity to sit down with Bud Schenefelt, one of our professors. Prior to joining UNL's College of Architecture, Bud Schenefelt taught architecture studios at Auburn University and interior design studios at the Savannah College of Art and Design and Georgia State University. Prior to teaching, Bud practiced architecture with Max Gogan Merrill Elam Architects for over nine years, where he was a project manager and designer. He participated in projects that have won American Institute of Architects awards and have been published in Architect Magazine and Log. Schoenefeldt was also a founding principal of design work in Atlanta, Georgia. Schoenefeldt's design experience includes academic, corporate, healthcare, planning, and residential. Otherwise, well, welcome back, guys. Um, we're joined with Bud here, and we'll just go ahead and get started. So you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got to Lincoln, Nebraska? So how did I get to Lincoln, Nebraska? I mean, there's a short answer where, um, like everyone else, I uh, applied for a job. I applied to a bunch of di- different jobs ac- across the country, and then there's uh, and accepted this one because it was the, the place I wanted to be. Um, there's a long answer of getting kind of to academia and architecture and everything else. Um, uh, it would take a little more time, um, whether you guys want to hear that or not. So, so I guess if, if, if I were to step back, I would say um, originally I had no idea what kind of architecture was at all. Um, as a kid, I never wanted to be an architect. I never even really thought about it until I was probably, uh, probably in my 20s at least. Um, I, uh, am I going to tell you the long story? How I got to Nebraska. We got to <laughs> be interesting. I've heard it once before. So. Okay, so um, so I started out in graphic design, uh, studied sculpture and printmaking, um, creative writing minor. Uh, was working as a um, as a graphic designer for a while, and in the evenings uh, working in a a bar in Alabama, um, uh, kind of with the music scene that was there. I'm I'm pretty passionate about music as well as uh, art and, and graphic design, especially at that time, I had no idea what kind of what an architect did. Um, most of my life, I've kind of lived all over the place, uh, primarily in suburbs of large cities, uh, places like Houston, uh, San Antonio, um, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, um, a couple others that are skipping my mind right now. But um, uh so one day I was driving to work into the into the office and it was early in the morning uh, in Alabama. And as I was driving through, I kept thinking, you know, like, why do all the houses and all the buildings look the way they do? For whatever reason, I was I was having this, this uh, conversation with myself and I realized that just from my kind of background in art and, um, and graphic design and everything, I thought, why, why aren't people really designing these spaces? Like, why does every house look exactly the same? Why is every house that I've lived in all over the country, for the most part, look the same? Um, so when I got to the office uh, in the morning, I was always the first person into the office. I uh, decided I was going to, I had this like revelation that I was going to become what I thought an architect would be the person that would do these kind of things. So I, I put a note on the outside of the door and I said, um, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be back to work because I'm going off to be an architect, um, <laughs> even though I had no idea what that meant. Um, uh, so from there, I basically moved and, and left, uh, left Alabama, um, told my then uh, pretty serious girlfriend, not quite, not 
quite my wife yet, but um, told her that I wanted to be an architect. I actually took her canoeing out on this lake and I said, hey, I think we're going to move because I want to go be an architect. Again, no idea what an architect really did other than built, you know, designed houses yeah. and, and uh, buildings and stuff. So, um, so the two of us moved, uh, moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, school was about to start there, and I got into the program at LSU uh, in undergrad because I wasn't smart enough to think, okay, well, I could just go get a graduate degree, um, at the time at least, and uh, was there for... I guess probably until about spring break. And uh, my wife and I went on a trip out west. And so we drove through Nebraska, um, ended up driving up into Montana, which wasn't actually the destination. We were actually, for the most part, being we were going to Yellowstone, but we decided to take a drive through uh, Bozeman, Montana. Um, and while we were there, um, fell in love with the town, uh, ended up driving back home. Uh, which was then Louisiana, packed up all of our stuff and moved to Bozeman within a week um, without even ever seeing the apartment we found over the phone, um, which was a really tiny, tiny apartment with a bathtub in the living room uh, and no sink other than the kitchen sinks. You had to brush your teeth in there. Um, it was over a lingerie store, which kept the place warm in the winter. Um, and... Uh, and a tattoo parlor that was in the back that would kind of keep us up at night with all the kind of zzz, kind of vibration yeah. sounds of tattoos. Um, I think I'm going taking the really long route here. Um, regardless, so I went to Montana, uh, ended up going to Montana State uh, for a semester, which I really enjoyed a lot. Um, uh, I didn't have a lot of money, so I had financial aid at the time. Um, and for whatever reason, the financial aid didn't go through the following month, uh, whether it was some administrative uh, issue or lack of getting something in on time by myself. So I was out a semester and I ended up doing uh, kind of a bunch of kind of odd jobs. I, I for a long time, I worked as a, uh, I worked at a foundry. I was a metal chaser, um, casting bronze and then, and then kind of sculpting this. This came from my kind of sculpture background. Um, and then from there, I went and worked at uh, Gibson Guitar and I was doing their inlay work for uh, people like Dwight Yoakam and Yoko Ono and um, really kind of custom tour guitars uh, and did that for a while. Um, uh, and then started doing my own kind of furniture and everything. And my wife and I started our own furniture company, um, got into some kind of East Coast shows and ended up moving, left architecture for a while, that whole dream, and ended up moving to the East Coast. Uh, to a little island called Chincoteague Island off the coast of Virginia and lived there for, I don't know, I guess it was two or three years doing furniture. But I always kept coming back thinking, you know, I'd love to get into, do something with architecture. I really was, was admired the few things I would see um, either in magazines or, or whatnot. Um, so uh, one day there was a, there was a little, the downtown was this kind of funny little place and this this woman had heard that I had a background in art and sculpture and everything else and she asked me if I'd come see her space because she wanted to renovate it um, so I went in there and gave her my ideas and she said well can you go ahead and design this and build it and everything else and I said well I really don't have any experience in architecture I think you want to hire an architect I think <laughs> and uh, so she said okay so she went and I guess interviewed a few architects that came in and gave them some ideas 
And she came back to me and she said, I really like your ideas better. Is there any way that you could do this? And of course, I had no background at all in structures or design or anything. <laughs> um, uh, so I ended up, I had a friend that was an engineer at NASA and I uh, called him up and he did the engineering on it and I did the design of it. Um, and uh, it's, it's not in my portfolio and I, and I wouldn't share that project with anyone in the world, but it was, it was my first project with really very, very, very uh, little education in architecture. I mean, literally probably a year max, maybe not even that. Um, uh, but at the same time, I still was kind of passionate about that. And I decided, okay, I'm going to try to find an architect that I could actually go work with. Um, and I found someone in Maryland, uh, that was hiring and he really wanted someone to do CAD work. He wanted someone to do, be a AutoCAD guy, um, which of course I had no idea how to use AutoCAD. So I told him I could start in two weeks and told him I knew AutoCAD a little bit. And I, and I jumped over to the community college and took a class in AutoCAD um, and got just far enough ahead of him that I was able to kind of keep up with it. Nice. Um, so that was really kind of my first experience, like working with an, with an actual architect and still not really having uh, gone to school. But um, that experience was like, you know, pretty profound for me, like seeing this guy, like doing things. We were, we were working a lot kind of in Ocean City doing condos and, and things like that. Um, uh, and then I, I think I worked there for probably about six months and he was like any architect. He worked all the time. Uh, his office was out of his home um, and he was working every time I got there and all through the weekends and everything else. And one day I came into work and he had passed away. He'd had a heart attack. Um, he had gone to lay down on the couch the, the day before. Um, and when I got there the next morning, um, he had passed uh, because probably too much work, too much stress. Um, anyway, so long story still getting longer. Um, <laughs> we, uh, so I ended up, I decided, okay, I got to do something else. If I'm really going to take this seriously, I need to go to school. I need to really, you know, get the education. Um, uh, and the foundation to understand design and, and design spaces and everything else. Um, so after, um, once I came to this realization, there weren't a whole lot of opportunities at the time because I think it was at the end of, probably would have been the end of the spring semester, even if I were to kind of think about going to school right away. Um, so uh, I, I'd heard at the time that there was a, there was a, uh, meeting of the minds like all these kind of brilliant folks that were coming in that were going to talk about climate change and this was in 2001 and it was at the which is a long time ago uh, yeah. 2001 and it was at the academy of sciences in dc um and so i decided i wanted to go there although i had no science obviously background or anything else i'm like any other time in my life i tried to figure out how i could kind of weasel into there so i had a friend that had a had a uh a publishing company got me a press pass to go to the National Academy of Sciences. And when I was there, um, there was an architect speaking, uh, William McDonough. I don't know if you guys know him or not. He's, he's um, focuses primarily, although I haven't kept up with him in years, he primarily focuses on um, kind of environmental issues, environmental architecture, things like that. Um, so I uh, went to the National Academy of Sciences. It kind of blew my mind. It was 
scary as hell. They were talking about the stuff we're talking about now, um, you know, however many years ago, I guess 20 years ago, uh, and ended up going to, deciding to go to school and went to LSU. So I went to graduate school in LSU, uh, finished my degree there. Um, and then when I went off to get a job, like probably most people that graduate from architecture, they, a lot of, I think everyone kind of wants to be a designer. I'm sure there are some people that, you know, really want to do other parts of that, but um, I wanted to be some big designer. And uh, as I started exploring um, different options, uh, I'd really kind of gravitated to a couple, couple of different firms, one on the West Coast and then one, uh, a Southern firm. Um, and the dean of LSU at the time, who was uh, David Cronrath, who actually I think was the director at Nebraska. There's these like strange connections to Nebraska that work out um, throughout this kind of story. But um, he told me right as I was going to sign uh, on the line that I, he said, you're already a pretty good designer. Like you're a good designer. He's like, but you don't know how to put anything together. Uh, so he suggested that I go work for kind of more of a corporate firm. Um, and that's what I did from there and headed, uh, headed to Atlanta and worked at a corporate firm there for a few years, uh, before getting kind of more into design and design work. Cool. That was kind of a, a sorry about that, like yeah, long. No, uh, I liked it. Yeah, that's good. Um, I know you had a connection to David Carley before you uh -huh. came to Nebraska. Do you want to? Can yeah. I talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I can talk about that. I don't know yeah. if he wants me talking about it. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> so when I went to Atlanta, like I said, I, I went to uh, this corporate firm, a couple corporate firms, um, and then decided, okay, I know how to build things, and I wanted to uh, go work for a design firm. So I went to work for Max Scoggin, Merrill Elam Architects, um, and uh, the first day that I got to work, David Carley was there also. The two of us got hired the start date of the exact same day. I think I got there like five minutes before he did. I met him as he came in, uh, and we immediately both were working on uh, the Yale Health Center, which we worked on for, oh, I guess like four or five years. Um, so that's where I originally met David Carley uh, many, many years ago. Yeah. World. So you guys yeah. were in the same studio. We were in the same studio. We were on the same project. And it was really just the two of us. In fact, um, when that first day, uh, Merrill Elam came over to us and uh, basically had an arm. It was back when everything was printed, or at least she thought everything should be printed. I mean, everyone else was digital, but she still thought everything should be printed out. So she came over with a stack of about, um, I don't know. 200 emails and she said you have a meeting in like an hour and a half read as much as you can <laughs> so uh david and i were like busy trying to get up to speed um to prepare for this project and it was really just the two of us one of the one of the folks that kind of started on the project had just uh just got married and was on her honeymoon and she's gonna be on her honeymoon for Think like a couple weeks so it was really the two of us and neither of us knew anything about the project so that was that's where that's i met david um yeah that's awesome and for those of you who don't know who david carley is if you're listening from an outside source um he's the director of architecture here at unl um it's just kind of a crazy story how they both met across the country and 
are both now working at UNL as faculty members. It's yeah. pretty cool. And if you need more information on David Carley, go yeah. back and check out episode one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we had him on. <laughs> yeah, I also met uh, Sarah there as well, who mm-hmm. um, ended up obviously becoming his uh, spouse, and yeah. uh, they married. Um, and coincidentally, Sarah and I were both at LSU at the exact same time and in different programs and wow. didn't know each other. Um, although we were probably crossing in the in the hallways and everything yeah. else, yeah, such a such a strange coincidence. Just how everything yeah. just kind of falls into place. Mm-hmm. Whether it's uh, that kind of reminiscing uh, idea of architecture coming back into play, or even now with the Carleys showing up, mm-hmm. yeah, in a odd and interesting parts. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then, you what what made you transition then from working for this? kind of star architect, big designer, mm-hmm. um, managing projects and shift back over to teaching in academia? Uh, good question. So um, I guess, so I worked on that project for, like I said, about five years. And then I had been asked to teach at Georgia State, um, teach interior design. I taught one semester there uh, really enjoyed it. And I actually did that while I was at McNamara's office. Um, and then, uh, from there I picked, I taught a few classes down at Auburn university, um, which was about, I think it was about an hour and a half drive, uh, from Atlanta. Um, but it was always just kind of adjunct taking, picking up a, a class here or there. Um, but I really enjoyed it a lot. And then, um, I went out on my own and started my own firm, uh, with a colleague of mine, and while I was doing that, I had been asked to teach at Savannah College of Art and Design in Atlanta. Um, again, not thinking that I would ever give up practice, but really just kind of enjoying, you know, being with kind of young folks and, and, and you know, like that kind of energy of teaching. Um, in some ways, I, I think it informs practice just as much um, as, the, as academia. And... Um, and so while I was there, I guess I must have done an okay job because they offered me a full-time position, which I'd never really thought about um, until the offer came around. And so uh, once I talked to the family and started thinking about it, I said, well, okay, if I'm really going to be serious about teaching full-time, I might as well uh, explore what the options are, you know, like what other schools are hiring, what are the other schools doing? Because all I knew was that kind of Atlanta area and places that I could drive to. So mm-hmm. um, that was really the moment that I explored and uh, switched to teaching primarily. I'm still um, practice a little. Uh, yeah. Got an email today about a house in Atlanta that I may end up doing. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Very cool. So talking a little bit more than on that uh, kind of practice side of things, what kind of areas peaked? Obviously, you worked on a pretty big project. Um, and some other ones, but is there anything that you uh, you prefer to do or stuff that you're really interested in in terms of um, professional practice? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the the Yale project, like I said, I, I started at, at corporate firms, a couple big kind of corporate firms, HOK and then TVS Design. Um, in, in those firms, I was working primarily kind of internationally. Um, Dubai and Beirut and places like that, although I wasn't traveling there. I was just doing everything online. But um, and, and this is this is in no way a, a, a cut to 
corporate firms, but um, but um, the thing I always liked making things. You know, getting back to you know working at, with Gibson and doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, furniture and everything else. I always liked the idea of making stuff, having a problem and trying to figure out how you put something together. Um, so when we went to, or when I went to uh, Mac and Merrill's office and uh, David and I were working over there, uh, Mac, very much like in a studio environment, he would say, okay, we're going to, like this particular building was a brick building that we were working on, or at least at some point it became a brick building. And rather than say okay here are the details for bricks this is how we build it go build it he it was basically like we were the first people that had ever designed a brick building in the world and we would have meetings for i don't know like 40 hours a week just on how do you design a brick building and how do you design a brick um so for me that's when i i really um I really kind of gravitated to that idea that we shouldn't just kind of take advantage of the materiality and like what it should be, um, but what it really wants to rise to and, and, um, and, you know, not just like taking a brick off the shelf, but actually designing that, designing the shape of it, designing, you know, understanding how it's made. Um, and it wasn't only that, I mean, there were other projects I worked with, um, Mac and Merrill on that were, um, everything from like slate shingles to whatever, but it it was never, okay, just pick this product and put it on the wall. Like, how can we use this material in a really kind of an innovative way? Um, And I think that probably, although I already had that, that kind of desire to have problems and try to figure them out, it was the first time I'd seen that in architecture to that extent, um, uh, which was really kind of exciting for me. and, and I think some of some of that knowledge taken into the classroom it was also advantageous to students. I mean, even even when I was uh, yeah teaching early design and everything else, with students seeing that okay, well, it doesn't just have to be like a red brick house and a certain module and you know whatever. Um, so that's when I really got kind of passionate about what architecture could actually be. I think I answered your question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know talking about your studio too of. Um... Being a, being a student with someone who uh, knew the fear and the wrath of some other professors who took some time off to go and enjoy themselves a little bit, teaching the second-year program and having uh, you and some of the other professors come in, walking up to our second-year studio space, it was always interesting to see that it was such a diverse project than what maybe the upperclassmen were always used to seeing. Um, and that maybe students were enjoying it a little too much, but always focusing <laughs> on, uh, uh, always folk. I mean, everyone, everyone raves about you. So we knew something was up. Um, but, uh, I'm talking with some of those students, they've always talked about how you, uh, how you really set the importance on like kind of the poeticness of the material and focusing on that. And maybe if you could elaborate on why that's so important, I know you just kind of talked about that with redesign a brick house in a new way. Um, but why is that something that we should really be focusing on, especially in school? You know, it's, it's, it's funny. Again, it gets to like, um, it gets to, you know, what surfaces can be. And I, you know, I always think about like light and really we don't see light at all in space, right? They have to, it has to like go across, uh, a texture or a material or whatever else that it's bouncing off of, reflecting off of. Um, and uh, I, I mean, it's been something I've been passionate about. And I, and I don't know, I don't remember if, I sh- if I've shared this with you guys before, but 
um, even for a while, I was really like when I was working at some of those corporate firms because I had a little bit of extra time. I was making more money and I had a little extra time <laughs> than, than in design firms where you're working all the time and mm-hmm. sometimes you're making less money. But um, uh, with that time, that extra time, I was really kind of exploring a lot of art stuff. I was doing really large art installations like under bridges. I did a couple um, under like uh, overpasses that were underutilized in Atlanta. Um, but long story short, getting to your answer is that, um, is that I was always, uh, uh, I always gravitated toward these kind of ephemeral atmospheric kind of qualities of spaces. And so like, for instance, the, the, the overpass that I was talking about, um, the first time I went under there was very underutilized. There was a lot of kind of crime in the area. There was, um, some condos that backed up to it, but. Uh, for the most part, I think the condos were selling for like almost nothing because it was in a pretty rough area. Um, and if myself and a friend of mine decided we were going to make the underside of this overpass where all these this kind of crazy activity was happening and then at night and everything else, we were going to turn it into like this ballroom. And so we ended up buying, I mean, this was just a crazy idea, but we decided to buy, I don't even remember, it must have been like five thousand beads or something i mean it was like five hundred dollars maybe even more it might have been like eight hundred dollars worth of of beads um and we decided we were gonna because the breezes and the in the air the flow of the air and everything it was just amazing like they had these like really beautiful kind of breezes that would come through and so we decided we were going to hang all these beads from the underside of this thing um no idea how we were going to do it because it's 45 feet tall and it's (laughs) a it's a city bridge or state bridge um, and so we went through all these kind of crazy ideas of how to do that. Um, and in the long run, we ended up uh, getting a lift, like a cherry picker type lift uh, someone lent to us. And we went up on the underside of this bridge and spent probably at least a week attaching these beads to the underside of this thing. But in the end, it was it was like starlings. You know, have you guys ever seen starlings where they mm-hmm. kind of flow with the flow of air is it, and you know they're kind of moving so these all these thousands of beads would just like slowly kind of dance in the breezes and everything it was like you know just amazing so in the same in, in the same kind of vein i've always been really um kind of excited about how uh, materiality and architecture can be like um i don't know become alive just from you know the, the atmosphere that it's in whether it's you know like I said, kind of winds or the way light hits surfaces or um, what else, you know, whatever else. I mean, I'm always interested in kind of surface qualities and textures and materiality, but really it comes down to kind of sound and, and light. And um, I think I took one of my studios, I think that was, uh, might have been last year, I can't remember where I had a violinist come in and I don't know if you guys heard that or not, but I had a violinist come into the, our call and had her play the same song in all these different spaces uh, throughout our call everything from Corbu that has the wood to the link that's obviously hard surface and I'm just looking at or listening to the difference you know reverberation and everything else on surfaces so I'm, I'm pretty passionate about all all those kind of uh, atmospheric qualities within spaces and how the architecture informs those for sure um, do you have like a specific precedent you like to look at or like i guess favorite material either company or firm or i don't know that's a tough one 
you know, the funny thing is, and, and I'm even, I'm blanking on names. I mean, if anyone that really knows me, I'm really bad at names, but um, the, uh, I tend to lean a lot to kind of conceptual artists and, mm -hmm. and people like that. It's probably because of my background, I, I, I was an art history minor as well. Um, in fact, I feel like a lot of my lectures are spiced with the, you know, these folks yeah. that are doing things um, as, as artists. Um, I mean, there's kind of obvious ones, uh, obvious architects, people like Zumther and people like that are, mm -hmm. that are doing things with atmosphere. Um, it's kind of a hard question. I know there's like a bunch of precedents and like projects out there. It's yeah. crazy, but I mean, in some ways I get, I get really kind of fired up even from just these like abandoned mm -hmm. buildings in the middle of nowhere and how they've kind of aged and how the aging of that all of a sudden kind of changes the way yeah. the, the spaces in there look and you know mm -hmm. the way the again the um kind of light and sound and everything else play with those spaces so yeah for sure um sometimes it's not actually to something that's you know a 90 million dollar project that <laughs> yeah. was just built yeah right or even if it's just your 800 dollar trip to michael's yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, taking out a bridge yeah, I yeah, know that absolutely. you've had a very diverse background, um, obviously, from the story you just told us about where you came from and all the different jobs that you've had mm -hmm. coming to where you are today. Um, but I guess, like, what's, like, the main takeaway or do you, like, recommend people, like, kind of venture out and explore different fields um, before ultimately going back to the thing that they're most passionate about or, like, I don't really know how to frame. Yeah, that question, no, I, th I think yeah. that's I think that's actually a really great question. In fact, given that I, you know, I'm teaching second year studios, and I remember um, as a second year student in graphic design, like I wasn't the one that was going to get hired. It was going to be the fourth year students or whatever. So mm -hmm. I always tell my second year students, and I have nothing against like Canes or any of these places. I say <laughs> instead of like working the summer at Canes, like find something that will give you a skill set that you could take into design, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, you're working at a sign company or you're working at a, um, I don't know, like a, a guitar manufacturer or lighting or something that, you know, you yeah. can, you're going to learn. It's going to be something that other than just how to like make a burger or something, mm -hmm. not that there's anything wrong with that, but, <laughs> um, but you know, in, in the, in the, you know, maybe I didn't say this before, but I, I'm, or maybe I did, I can't remember, but, um, I'm, I'm pretty confident that Merrill hired me because of my, my experience in, in, uh, in these kind of diverse areas that weren't mm -hmm. um, just all like straight path architecture. So I, I oftentimes tell my students, you know, sure, if you can get an internship in one of the great firms here in Nebraska, do it. Um, but if you can't, like build your, build your skill set, like, mm -hmm. you know, and then ally yourself with some people that really know how to do things. I mean, it's funny even thinking about, I worked, actually did work in a sign company for a while. And when we did a project um, in Atlanta, we couldn't get anyone to kind of fabricate these large, huge panels that were very organic um, without it just costing a fortune. And we ended up having some small little sign company fabricate them because they knew how to break metal and do all this stuff. And they were the, they came in way cheaper than these kind of architectural fabricators. Um, so I think all those kind of skills are, are really kind of advantageous, and especially when it's hard to get. Yeah. You know those firm jobs. I would recommend that anyone at those uh, in the earlier years not just settle.
for a job if you can. Sometimes yeah. you just have yeah. to settle. Uh, but yeah, that would definitely be my recommendation. Mm-hmm. I think branching out and kind of experiencing different things really makes you like a jack of all trades and just really spreading your fingers and all these different networking opportunities for sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I've worked a couple different construction jobs through different companies and irrigation landscape. Mm-hmm. So just learning all that kind of stuff has definitely made me appreciate like the residential scene and um, I don't know. I just, I've learned a lot and I think that'll help me like moving forward in my career and academic career too. So absolutely. And there's a lot of folks that, you know, I've worked in with in the past that uh, because of some of these kind of diverse backgrounds mm-hmm. end up going into other areas that yeah. might not be like architecture focused, mm-hmm. um, but they're really happy with and, you know, around the kind of the verge of other things. So, um, yeah, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. So shifting gears a little bit, um, this past year, uh, the College of Architecture here in Nebraska was about to go underneath a major renovation and adding some much needed space and some unique spaces, but um, due to the times it's been put on hold, but you um, uh, led a class on kind of that process and was work- and were working with uh, the architecture firm out of Omaha that was uh, doing that. What was that connection like and uh, did that really help give students kind of that same kind of networking skill or uh, kind of connection to all those firms? So I would say, you know, I think it's a really good question. I, I would say that the, for me, it was less about networking, although, um, you know, I think there's a potential for that as definitely, especially if the project or when the project continues on. I don't think it'll be, honestly, I don't think it'll be on hold that long. Um, and, but I, for me, the reason I really wanted to take that on was to start, you know, get this kind of experiential learning and have it start early um, where where the stu- where students are really kind of seeing what it takes to like build a project, and primarily most of the students that were um, in that particular class were of kind of I'm trying to think if any of them were for, I guess all of them were kind of second year um, and third year, but that was primarily because I was thinking uh, those folks would be able to like go through at the time at least I thought those folks <laughs> would be able to go through the renovation and really. Um, learn a lot from that, but it wasn't the idea of it wasn't just, hey, you five, 10 students, you get to have this experience, but I really wanted them through kind of an interviewing process and through documentation and through kind of uh, assessing and understanding, you know, how a construction document relates to, you know, design documents for them to take that information um, and put together a set of kind of videos or drawings or models um, that could be disseminated to all the students, um, even for, you know, 10 years from now, if someone want to go in there and say, hey, you know, how does this detail work in the link or whatever it is, um, they could actually go into that model and see that. Um, again, that gets into kind of my, my uh, idea that experiential learning is really kind of critical. Um, and that comes from both my kind of undergrad research as well or undergrad studies as well as some of the experiences i had at mac and merrill's and some other firms so really putting a more positive spin on learning from architecture hall instead of here's all the things you shouldn't do um, <laughs> and instead kind of taking that in the yeah. other way and be like hey look at this here's well, how it's done well i have used i have used architecture hall for things you shouldn't do but those were things that were done before my tenure and, and right. uh, yeah. before codes were really a thing. Um. Right. And so, I mean, it's a, it's a great place to talk about those things. I, 
I, within the, I feel like every, every uh, new second year class, I end up taking them as soon as you kind of get into what spaces should feel like and the size and all that kind of stuff. Um, I end up taking, you know, okay, we're all going, you see all the students drawing toilets that are about the size of a foot. And, um, <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, we're going to take a, 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 a trip, you know, go, go, go explore. And they get all excited. And the first thing I do is take them to the toilets and like, okay, the guys go on this one, girls mm -hmm. go on this one and see what it really looks like. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm sure everyone's kind of seen them, but what do they really look like? What are the space requirements and mm -hmm. toilets aren't the size of a, you know, cereal bowl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think it's really important to like not do everything on paper, right? But to mm -hmm. really kind of understand your surroundings and look at those and use those as yeah. a tool. Yeah. So touching briefly back on your materiality and kind of learning that uh, through the surface materiality of things, that, mm -hmm. um, some of my experience with my internship this summer and where I currently am working, um, we do a lot of churches and a lot of schools. And so obviously those are two very different places mm -hmm. they kind of have the same belief in the end goal of it's a, it's a place that forms and shapes people. Mm -hmm. um, but the materials you use in the church are very usually high on the scale of design and the mm -hmm. materials you use on a school are much lower. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things, I don't know, talking in more of a theoretical perspective, I've always thought it was interesting um, to, kind of take those ideas and flip them of, is it still the same kind of place? You still get the same feeling when you flip that kind of a lower cost area or when you see the schools, it's always in the design projects. It's like design a new or call and then it's the most expensive, greatest design feat um, of all time. But uh, talking with that experiential design, is that something that you're also kind of uh, helping students understand is that maybe this amazing materials or those kinds of things are maybe used or maybe to think outside the box and go for those uh bigger design choices i know that's kind of a weird question no i i, I mean i think i think that's a, a really valid question I, I and um not to keep going back to you know uh, uh elevating mac and merrill's office so much but they often just really because of kind of time not i was looking at your clock and said time not time constraints <laughs> um, uh getting to um uh kind of financial constraints on projects like everyone has you know so there are oftentimes it's like okay these are this is what we can afford um and how do you take a material that's really possibly just banal and do something really kind of elevate it to something that's really kind of special so i, I think that's i think a, a true designer could really take any material um in fact yeah i mean i feel like oftentimes the materials we were using were I mean, sometimes they became bricks that were very, very expensive, but other times it was really using a, a standard brick um, or, like I said, using kind of slate in an innovative way or even using, um, I don't know, a cement board or something as a, as, a, as a material itself instead of kind of hiding it behind stuff. Um, and I think for, for a lot of architects, that's probably the struggle because we have these kind of grand ideas, but in the reality is the cost of everything and the and the amount of money that someone really wants to spend, we have to end up becoming really kind of innovative on how you do something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I think, I think that's really important. I don't think, I think any, any material can really be elevated to something really quite spectacular. 
Yeah, um, kind of shifting gears a tiny bit, but I know that you've traveled a lot in mm-hmm. your life. Um, has that kind of affected your view of architecture? And do you kind of like see traveling as a form of studying architecture? That's a good question. Um, so I traveled a lot, both because of kind of moving with my mm-hmm. family and everything. But again, I think uh, because I was always in these, I mean, I was always in kind of great cities, um, but I, for the most part, I was in the suburbs. I think in some ways, maybe that is why I think the way I do, because of a, a kind of a kickback on that, that, hey, mm-hmm. this is this isn't how we should be living. Um, I'm not one of those that could say, oh, I've been, you know, all to, to all these kind of great buildings. And um, and that's what inspired me. I think it was really kind of the opposite, like seeing everything, everything looked the same, a lot of kind yeah. of cookie cutter stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I have done some, some traveling um, uh, that was focused on other things, um, different ideas of architecture. Um, I did a little traveling down in, uh, Mexico and this Reynosa area um, of Mexico that's right on the border um, of Texas and did some kind of housing with a professor at LSU down there where we were actually like designing ways of uh, making concrete um, panels and things like that and actually designing a way to build not necessarily going down there and saying hey here's a house for you but showing them how they could take kind of a standard material and make their own kind of homes mm-hmm. uh, really kind of low cost. And um, so I spent one summer just really in a, in a field in Louisiana, just playing with how could I, how could I design a, a house out of concrete that I poured myself and erected <laughs> by myself, um, which was a challenge to say the least. Um, so I think my travels have been maybe not the typical, um, uh, kind of experience of like seeing all these like really kind of grand famous buildings and everything. I think it was really, uh, you know, uh, maybe quite the opposite. So, yeah. Um, Geneva's in the back feeding me very good questions. So, oh, she is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she um, texting. Yeah. Um, but she's gonna get me in trouble, isn't she? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, but since you lived in the suburbs, do you think it is important to live in capital A architecture? Um, and do you aspire to build that type of architecture for your own house or home? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good one. That's um, a good one. <laughs> you know, that is, you know, it's funny where I, I don't even know how to answer that question. I mean, quite honestly, I feel like everyone <laughs> has their own stuff that gets into your head mm-hmm. um, and how you process it and how you get inspired by it or how you don't. Um, you know, I... I'm, I'm not always the kind of capital A architecture, um, although I think that I always give everything to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just not, might not be the kind of stuff that, um, you know, would be necessarily like the architect big yeah. project. Um, I tend to like really like to be able to get into a project. So in some ways, the smaller projects are a little more fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I mean even even to that, even to that uh, kind of line of thought. So the the house that I got a call on uh, today to work in Atlanta on was um, a previous client that I did a house for. It was it started out as is really just a they wanted a what did they want? They wanted their kitchen to be a little bit bigger, and they wanted to redo their bathroom, and that was it. 
Mm-hmm. And by the end of the project, we had done a $400,000 addition because oh, wow. we kept, you know, was giving them these like little moments and they realized, wow, you know, like what architecture really could be. Mm-hmm. Um, so it turned into this like huge addition. Um, and now they're moving areas of Atlanta and they want to do another project that's kind of similar. Um, but they were really kind of fired up about the uh, and, and excited about um kind of the stuff I was talking about before, kind of materiality and yeah. the way light comes in spaces and everything else. In fact, this sounds a little weird. Maybe I shouldn't be sharing all this, but um, <laughs> they the, the client wanted a new bathroom and the bathtub um, faced the backyard. There was a, they wanted a window that faced the backyard, but you could see the people behind them and they wanted the, she wanted the bathtub to have a full height window so when she sat and was taking her bath that she could like see right through that. But then again, you also could see in it. She didn't want any like curtains. She didn't want anything. Um, but in the end, we, we designed this like kind of skylight uh, moment where light came down and it raked across this kind of marble surface. And she loved the way it looked so much during the design phase that she changed all the plumbing so she could face that, which was on the other side, instead of being facing her neighbors and I guess in the long <laughs> maybe maybe the neighbors are a little bit happier about that perhaps yeah. that uh, she's facing the other way now but um, anyway long story short she was uh, happy with the project and looks like I might be doing another one with her we'll see well, that's awesome yeah. so. it's like the college of business with their third or fourth floor I gotta it was just weird details that every now and then come through so yeah yeah, and I, I think that I think it's like I think it's the details where you like really can mess up a project. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. where where the investment mm-hmm. of time really needs to happen mm-hmm. for in, in all aspects to kind of yeah. cover your ass from water coming in to you know really making a beautiful building. Mm-hmm. It all comes down to the details. Yeah. Do you sure. have any more? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you doing to me, Geneva? <laughs> No, uh, Geneva says, I know you mentioned smaller projects. Do you have favorite uh, favorite typology of architecture? Um, is it domesticity or maybe something else? Hmm, good question. Um, I think it has a lot more to do with, I mean, I do like the scale of, of a house, um, but I think it, a lot of times it comes, it's, uh, it comes down to really the kind of clients. Like, I, I think it's really important that you find clients that kind of gel with what you want to do. And sometimes they don't realize they're going to like what you're doing mm-hmm. or, or not. I don't know. But, um, but I, I tend to really kind of decide on projects based on the clients and, and, and what I think that they're interested in and whether it's a good match for me. So it becomes less about what the project is and more about that. Um, there's definitely been projects that I've turned down because of that. Uh, my wife would probably say that I'm completely opposite of my son. I'm, I'm like, and this isn't, this isn't a, uh, this isn't a strength of mine, but I'm not driven by money at all. Um, so I tend to like turn down projects that would make a lot of money, but just because they're not that interesting. And, Mm -hmm. um, that's just the way I am. Um, so it's not necessarily a typology, although I do like kind of the smaller, those kind of smaller moment projects. Um, but I don't, I wouldn't say that I would, that's all I would gravitate to. It's really the client. Yeah. Um, I know that you've, 
talked a lot about like your theater theoretical interests um, and a little bit kind of transferring that into your your practice but um, do you have like a, any specific moments where you have transferred your theoretical interests into your practice or like how does that transition kind of move over or has it in the past I mean I think that's just a it, I think I think the two of those just pair all the time together. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really hard to, at least for me, and it, it's really hard to kind of separate those things. Like, um, I mean, I find every project I do a, a learning experience. I find mm -hmm. it, you know, a, a mind battle, um, both in how, how do you put this thing together, but what does it mean to put that together the way you put it together? So to me, it's, they're, they're married. Um, mm -hmm. uh, very rarely are they not. And I think for, you know, any kind of decent architect, that's why we like work way too much and, um, and why in some ways it's, it's exhilarating, yeah. but at the same time, it's, uh, it could be exhausting as well. For sure. Um, because it's not just, okay, you connect the dots and it's that it's mental, it's physical, it's everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, for me, those are, are, you know, hand in hand. I don't think I could I could separate those two. Yeah, I think that's how it should be though. Absolutely, and I think that's that's not how it is in most cases yeah. a lot of the time. But with the one exception that we should really be teaching people, which I mean it's it's a fair argument, but there is an end to a project. Um, yeah, which I feel at least in school is usually something that's not taught all the way through unless there really is a hard deadline that you mm -hmm. really have to hit. Um, for something that's maybe more of an installation or uh, yeah. if it's a design build. You really do have to get that set of drawings done for that time, but instead, those other projects, you're always, you're, you're cramming until the last second, even though that you really hit, you hit everything that was needed well, a week ago type thing. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, you, you just want to, you just keep getting those details. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I think those are the good designers, though, too, that don't stop. Um, yeah. So it's a, I mean, it's a dangerous slope. It's, it goes both ways. Of, yeah. You got to find a happy medium yeah. and balance. Yes. I think the other thing for me was um, when I first started working, like I kept thinking like in school, you work on whatever you get, a, you get a project and you're doing a, you know, whatever, a school and whatever that kind of deadline is in May, like it's just done. Like you're just <laughs> done. Right. And, and to your point, like yeah. drawings have to be done. Mm -hmm. um, but it's always, it was always like, I kept thinking, when I'd work on these projects for like years that it would just be done. And then I'd be like, whew, and then I start on something new, no, but, it, but it doesn't, no. <laughs> it just keeps, it trickles and trickles. So there's never this like moment where an architect or, or designer or anyone on the kind of team, um, whether they're the, you know, the engineers or the, you know, uh, I don't know whoever um but there's never this moment where it's just like yay we all did it you know and i kept wanting that you know mm -hmm. and that's how it is in studio like it's like that that moment where it's all we did it but it just keeps trickling and trickling and trickling until one day it's like they don't really need you anymore and they you know yeah. don't call you and that trickle can last for decades. years <laughs> yeah, yeah decades yeah. um so it's so unlike the kind of you know experience in school but um Anyway, I always kind of was thinking I would get like a big hug or something after the project. <laughs> like I wanted that for all that work I did. Right, yeah. um, anyway. Well, we are getting close to the end. Mm -hmm. um, so I will throw it into kind of our questions we ask everyone. So what are, what are some things right now that you're inspired by? Um, and then also alternatively, what are some things you're optimistic about for the future? Yeah, good questions. Um, 
So unfortunately, I can't say the word that I was going to talk about for um, one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of uh, a moment in time that's that's just these times or <laughs> these times. Yeah. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> no, but basically this the situation we're in right now, I find in some ways terribly frightening. Um, obviously for lots of reasons, but in other ways I'm I'm really kind of inspired uh, by the potential of some of the outcomes of that. Um, everything from like people being really kind of innovative quickly, like people are all just kind of tackling uh, the issues that we're facing um, to, you know, like how this can really kind of change the built environment. Um, as you guys, we didn't really touch on it much. I'm also really kind of interested in kind of health, um, built environment, how that plays a role in kind of healthy living and everything else and, and, and really being proactive by being active and everything else. So um, I'm seeing these kind of changes really quickly. Uh, we're also seeing um, a new, for good or bad, I mean, I, I think you could probably argue either way, a new kind of comfort with technology that allows for all these things like, you know, things like telehealth. We don't, we don't necessarily have to go to, you know, the, the, the doctor all the time, but we can really just kind of check in um, to people realizing that, hey, you know, diabetes and overweight and all of this stuff is, is detrimental for a lot of uh uh, situations that we're in and makes you more susceptible to getting sick. So, um, you know, how can we change the built environment? How can we start thinking about how we can, you know, walk more, bike more? I was I was under this impression when I moved here, and this is my my ignorance of of the kind of Midwest because all I ever did was really I was the kind of flyover guy and the mm -hmm. drive through guy. Um, but I always thought, you know, in, in rural. America, like people are really healthy and they're eating really healthy and everything else. And, uh, and I realized there's just, I mean, it's like two lane highways. You're not going to be walking on those. You're not going to be really biking on those a whole wow. lot because it's not safe. You don't have those, that kind of infrastructure for that. So I think that, um, at least my, my optimism is that this is going to you know, has the potential to make a better place. I think that's also in kind of conjunction with some of the other, kind of demons that have uh, that have been, you know, we've been wrestling with as a nation for many, many years. Those are coming to the forefront as well. You know, we're really kind of starting to talk about diversity and hopefully, you know, this is something that is uh, gets rectified. I mean, it's something that's been talked about too long, but everything's kind of boiling up to the to the surface there. And I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that it's um, going to be hopefully a really nice kind of turn for the country. And, and I think it's a real um, opportunity for designers in a lot of different ways, whether they're architects or interior designers or landscape or whatever. Um, so I'm really kind of optimistic about that. And I'm really kind of excited for, you know, your generation, like what you guys could be doing. And a lot of that kind of uh, vocal um, activism and everything else is coming out of that younger generation. So, I mean, I think that is, you know, really quite inspiring. Um, and hope it keeps going in that direction and we've resolved some, some things that should have been resolved a long time ago and uh, yeah. build better places. For sure. Yeah, That was a great answer. Yeah, yeah. thank you for coming on. Um, I think this is a great conversation, so we really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for ha having me. I hope I didn't uh, ramble a little. No, <laughs> I think I rambled a little there. <laughs> I Not tend to all. do that. All, all my students would, uh, would, would say, oh, yeah, he probably ran, rambled for a long time.